Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please take your seats as the feature presentation is about to begin. Hello, I'm Marcus, and this is Nick. Hello. And thank you for giving us your time. In return, you shall be rewarded with an audio treat that critics are calling the Sunshine Cinema Show. <laughs> hey, that, show. That's what it is. <laughs> now, it'll come as no surprise to regular listeners that Nick is working on a new film. Oh, yes. This one is a spaghetti western remake starring a Middle Eastern cooked lamb. It's something he's calling... The good kebab and the ugly. Oh, fuck. How's that coming along, Nick? Oh, um... I don't know, I'm trying to think of a pun involving kofta, but I, I can't. <laughs> Those, these get worse every week. I do try. Thank you. Okay, we know why you're here. You want film reviews, and you want movie-based entertainment. Well, you have come to the right place. How about a review of Ad Astra? Brad Pitt's journey through space in search of his long-lost father. Oh, you are my father. Not that guy. Or if you fancy something a little more down-to-earth, our film-to-rent review is Tonking, the story of the formative years of the orphaned author J.R.R. Tonkin. And nestling delicately in between those reviews, we invite you to play along with our Take 5 film quiz. Now you are welcome to contact us on the show via Twitter. We are at Sunshine Cinemax. But let's jump straight into the latest movie news with Nick. Thanks, Marcus. So the headlines this time. Andy Serkis calls attention to serious issues behind digital actors and Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch heads to Fox Searchlight. As technology advances and digitally de-aged actors begin to look less shiny and more human in big blockbuster movies, it's becoming an exciting or a disheartening time for cinema, depending on who you ask. Are fully CG characters, like the digital recreations of Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher in Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, a touching homage to their legacies or cinematic sacrilege? Or is this just the future that Hollywood is heading toward? Those are the questions that are too tough to answer right away, but one that pioneering motion capture performer Andy Serkis is attempting to draw more attention to. And despite the technological innovations he himself has made as a digital actor, Serkis does think that the topic raises more serious issues than we may realise. Speaking at the IBC show, Circus called attention to the potential problems that could arise down the line once studios and filmmakers gain control over an actor's image thanks to innovations with digital actors. The ability to create photorealistic characters to digitally de-age actors or digitally resurrect performances from actors who have passed raises some serious issues, Circus said, continuing. When your performance becomes data, it can be manipulated, reworked or sampled, much like the music industry samples vocals and beats. If we can do that, where does the intellectual property lie? Who owns authorship of the performance? And where are the boundaries? 
Circus in particular took issue with the aforementioned digital recreation of Cushing and a young Fisher in Rogue One. The long past Cushing was digitally resurrected in the film as a fully CG character, using old footage and a motion capture performer as his stand-in. Visual effects supervisor John Knoll was criticised for the ethics of this choice at the time, and Circus stands with the critics, telling Screen Daily that he believes if a studio uses a likeness of an actor to build a digital performance, then the actor should be compensated. Similar to concerns that robots and AI could be taking away jobs from people in other industries, Circus fears that digital recreations could take away jobs from diverse actors. Performance capture is the end of typecasting, he said. With it, there should be great opportunities for disabled actors to play able-bodied characters. He added, it would be possible for an actor of colour to play Abraham Lincoln and for me, as a middle-class white man, to play Martin Luther King. The question is whether that is ethically right. Diversity is hugely important, so I can understand sensitivities about this. These are all big questions that Circus raises, and good ones at that, but as Hollywood studios and filmmakers alike quickly take to de-aging and digital recreations, authors like Martin Scorsese and Ang Lee both have upcoming films heavily relying on those technologies, it's probably not a discussion that will be resolved anytime soon. But the ethics are certainly questionable, and it may be a matter of time before cold, hard regulations are brought in to prevent any kind of abuse with this tech. What a world we live in. Yeah. Have you seen any of the, the deep fakes that are online? I've seen I've seen a couple. Um, one, well, to give a specific example, I've seen the uh, the trailer of Solo, which uh, transplants Harrison Ford's face onto uh, Olden Eric's performance, which is, I mean, it's, it's convincing. So if you're unfamiliar with deep fakes, these are uh, software techniques to manipulate people's faces, one person's face, onto that of another. And they do that by, by taking uh, a large number of images, photos, stills of person A, and then using computer techniques, they overlay it onto the recorded action of person B. And it's getting scarily accurate. Yeah. And it, it's, it's opening a can of worms because you, 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 can, you get to a point where you just can't trust what you see. Yeah, I remember seeing um, Jordan Peele made a video with, where uh, Barack Obama's face was transplanted onto him to make a point about, um, you know, as, te- as this technology evolves, people could potentially use it to spread misinformation or, you know, things that have uh, not happened. Yes. So, so, which is, you know, sort of playing into, well, the, the issue of actual fake news, which is, uh, you know, very much a, a big topic at the moment. Mm. I, I Going back to the, the article, the news article there, that on one hand, the, the commercial side of it, I can see that being quite easily covered with contractual um, statements that have never need, been needed before, mm. but will be going forward. Um, but Handy Circus's point about the, the moral questions behind some of these decisions is, is pertinent. And, wow. I, it's it's going to be a story that I can see popping up quite a lot yeah. in, in to, years to come just to go back to the specific example of Peter Cushing in, in Rogue One which I remember we brought up as a uh, a news item when it was uh, first announced that was going to be the case thinking it was going to be oh it would be a short cameo we mm. thought um, has a very large role in the in the actual film and was a, a source of some disappointment for me because the, the actor they had portraying him is uh, Guy Henry who um, you might see on, on Holby City and you know ever dramas who's a very good actor in his own right uh, has the voice down and doesn't actually look a million miles away from mm-hmm. Peter Cushing in the first place so it's a shame that they you know didn't think to just um, invest in some decent makeup yes it's, especially for a role that's that large in the film is um and do you think people would have been 
bothered by that. Do you think they'd have gone, oh, that's, can't, that's ridiculous. I can't believe they didn't completely CGI the, uh, Peter Cushing into that. Well, well, I don't I, think they would. Well, yeah, well, I remember people being bothered by the appearance of the digital actor, you know, the same way that, um, as I mentioned in my It's Chapter 2 review a couple of weeks ago, one of the actors in there has been digitally de-aged, and it's you know, quite noticeable at times and takes you out of the film Yeah, in a way that perhaps a slightly taller version of um, Finn Wolfhard might not have. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, it comes to me in a second, the Marvel film Ant-Man mm. and Ant-Man 2, those feature some de-aging with Michael Douglas and Michelle Pfeiffer. Very, yes, very briefly at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. And that works really well. Yeah. So, why well, I, I, I watched it and thought, this is amazing. How do they, how do they go back in time and convince Michelle Pfeiffer to record this footage from this film? <laughs> Genius. Yeah. So it has its place. It does, yeah. Um, it's just, uh, again, as Andy Serkis says, it's a question of how it's being used, I think. Even though 20th Century Fox isn't exactly doing the Walt Disney Company any favours with their box office performance this year, Fox Searchlight is still operating like it's business as usual. The more indie-focused and awards-driven arm of Fox has just secured the worldwide distribution rights to Wes Anderson's next film, The French Dispatch. This comes after Fox Searchlight released Isle of Dogs, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Fantastic Mr Fox and The Dial G Ling Limited previously. The movie is officially described with this brief description. The French Dispatch is a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city and brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. The press release also lists the official cast, which includes Benicio Del Toro, Francis McDormand, Jeffrey Wright, Adrian Brody, Timothy Chalamet, Leah Seydoux, Tilda Swinton, Matthew Almarick, Lina Coudry, Stephen Park, Owen Wilson and Bill Murray. That's an impressive assembly of talent, but it appears to be missing some names that were reported to be involved previously. In preceding reports, Saoirse Ronan, Willem Dafoe, Henry Winkler, Kate Winslet, Jason Schwartzman, Bob Ballerman and Christoph Folds were all mentioned as being part of The French Dispatched, but they're not listed in this new press release. Could those deals have fallen through, or do they merely have much smaller roles than the rest of the cast? After all, almost all of them have worked with Wes Anderson before, so it would make sense if they were just popping up for a quick appearance, especially with three different storylines possibly involved. No matter who ends up actually being in the movie, we know the ensemble will be outstanding, as they always are in Wes Anderson's movies, and Steve uh, Jalula and Nancy Otley, chairman of Fox Searchlight Pictures, couldn't be more thrilled to work with Wes Anderson again. They said, We are excited to dive back into the unmistakable and entirely original world of Wes Anderson, and our collaborations with Wes in the past have been exceptional, and we're thrilled to be back working with him and the Indian paintbrush team on The French Dispatch. French Dispatch doesn't have a release date yet, but it seems likely to arrive late in 2020. I know we were talking about this before, and you're certainly looking forward to it, aren't you? Always, yes. I, yeah, I'm a big fan of Wes Anderson's work, and you know, hasn't has never let me down <laughs> so far. So, yeah, as always, an excellent ensemble cast. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Wes Anderson doing the next Bond film. <laughs> that would be uh, a very different kind of Bond film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what I would gladly watch. Exactly. Possibly more similar in tone to the uh, the, the first Casino Royale movie with uh, five different people playing James Bond. <laughs> Much more of a comedy and a, a spoof than a, the, uh, the, the other Bond movies, of course. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, Nick. In a world fraught with corruption, two men united by fate, torn apart by destiny, somewhere between courage and not courage, between the pharmacy and the podiatry clinic, you'll find... Nick and Marcus in the Sunshine Hospital Radio Studio. Only they can bring you 
The Sunshine Cinema Show. Right then, let's give you a rundown now of some top fives. Specifically, the top five UK box office films and the top five UK film rentals. We shall start at the box office. And at number five, we have The Lion King. Yep, still uh, hanging on in there. Reviewed previously on the show, we give it a uh, four out of ten. <laughs> I always find myself hesitating slightly to, to reveal that number, but uh, I, it just did nothing for me. But then I was reviewing it as uh, someone who watched the original countless times on, on VHS. It, it looks good. At number four, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, which we gave uh, an 8 out of 10, not without its uh, issues, which have been, I think, well covered um, in, the, in the press. But I, I enjoyed it, although it does feel a little bit long. At number three, we have Hustlers. Yes, which was released last weekend. I've uh, seen in the interim because I've heard really good things about it. And it's very good. I think really enjoyable, sort of a... Probably closer to Goodfellas, I think, in, in, in spirit than something like uh, Magic Mike sort of focuses on a uh, team of, uh, well, strippers, <laughs> for lack of a better term, who um, get rich quick by, what's the phrase I'm looking for, sort of taking advantage of uh, Wall Street brokers. Manipulating. No? Yes, I, w- I, would, I would say so. But you, you sort of cheer them on because it's, you know, the Wall Street brokers who caused the financial crash of 2008 and uh, did not go to jail. So. Okay. That's 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 the standpoint that the movie takes, and it's a fantastic performance by Jennifer Lopez as well. At number two, we have It Chapter Two. Yes, which we reviewed on the program uh, last time as part of a, a double bill review because I watched them both as a as a double bill, and we hadn't we hadn't covered the first film yet on the show. I gave I gave gave them both the same score. Actually, both gave a, a seven out of ten. I remember thinking my review was quite measured. I sort of thought it could have been scarier. There's a lot of moments where the the scares are undercut by laughs, which I thought was a strange choice, but I sort of applauded the movie for having the confidence to do it. I thought it wasn't enjoyable enough. What I was not expecting was that my review would be one of the more positive ones out there, because a lot of people have, yeah, found it somewhat lacking compared to the uh, the first one. Um, but you're, you're, you're still excited to see it. I'm still excited to see it, yeah. I'm, and I will let you know my feelings are yeah I'd be curious to see him I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to watch It Chapter 1 beforehand Mm. again I have seen It Chapter 1 but I don't think I can do the whole six hour in one sitting Mm. binge that that was one of the the other things I mentioned in my reviews I felt that maybe my enjoyment of the second one was slightly diminished by watching it immediately after the first one because they do have a very very similar structure and the film currently at number one in the UK box office is Downton Abbey. Yeah. It sounds like it's what people wanted from, <laughs> from that particular film. <laughs> I, did, uh, I did read a little report saying that in America there's a lot of hype around the new Rambo film. and Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, this is opening at the same weekend, isn't it? Think, yes, yeah. it is. So it's Rambo versus Downton Abbey. Mm. And, well, it looks like it could be going Downton's way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, um, how about films to rent? What's in the top five? Well, just outside the top five, I'm going to mention Tolkien, which is uh, the film that we will be reviewing later on in the show. At number five, though, 
is Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Which is a much better film that, than it has perhaps any right to be, <laughs> I think. One that I, I suggested for rental review, but was uh, poo-pooed by, by you. I, I was the poo-pooer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair enough. If you, if you weren't a big fan of Pokemon growing up, I can see how this might be a, a hard sell. But it is, it's, it's, it's a decent enough movie. Ryan Reynolds does his thing as the, the voice of the titular Detective Pikachu. <laughs> it's a yeah, fun little family adventure. And you know, on a personal note, it's just nice to see how well they've implemented the, the world in, in the movie. Like, like humans and Pokemon working side by side and, in, um, in harmony. It's, it's an interesting thing to see. At number four in the UK film rentals chart, we have It Chapter One. Yes, which, as I said, we moved briefly on the program last time. Um, gave a seven out of ten. I, I do think, I do, I, I, I do agree with everyone else that this is the best of the two movies. Number three, we have Rocket Man. Yes, which we reviewed way back when it came out in uh, in the cinemas. I enjoyed. What was that? What did I give it? Six out of ten. I enjoyed it. I I enjoyed the effort it put into. Uh, actually transplanting the well actually making some musical numbers out of the songs rather than just having uh scenes of elton in the studio singing the songs um and as such i did think it was a much better film than bohemian rhapsody taron edgerton is great in the lead role but the film i think loses some points for just being a a, a story that we've seen before so like a rise and fall with you know some some drugs and hard drinking involved and then there's there's rehab at the end <laughs> Uh, number two, we have John Wick, Chapter Three. Yep, I think Parabellum. Yes, I <laughs> forget the subtitle. <laughs> yeah, I think probably one of our favourite films of the year so far. Mm. We've, we've enjoyed all of the John Wick movies. This one is uh, is no different. Um, yes, we give it an eight, eight out of ten when we reviewed it earlier in the year. It's it does everything you want a John Wick movie to do. It's very very good action movie. And at number one in the UK film rentals chart is. Avengers Endgame. Yeah, um, talked about this at length last time, so I don't feel, feel the need to go over it too much. It's a, a it's a fine conclusion to uh, about eleven years of movies, which sort of lends it to feel as more of a, a season finale episode of of a TV series rather than a a film that stands on its own. But on on that level, it's very good, I think. Okay, up next, a man journeys across a lawless solar system to find his missing father, a renegade scientist with dark intentions. We review Ad Astra. This is the Sunshine Cinema Show. Well, it's time for the first review on the show, and it's Ad Astra, rated 12A. A paranoid thriller in space that follows astronaut Roy McBride on a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. Major, what can you tell us about the Lima project? First manned expedition to the outer solar system, sir. Some 29 years ago. And the commander was? He was my father, sir. The ship disappeared approximately 16 years into the mission. Uh, no data was ever recovered. Deep space missions were halted after that. Well, Roy, we have something that might come as quite a shock to you. We believe your father is still alive near Neptune. My father's alive, sir? We believe so. Roy, the surge seems to be the result of some kind of antimatter reaction. 
Now, the Lima project was powered by that material, and your father was in charge of it. Now, we're talking about a potentially unstoppable chain reaction here. The uncontrolled release of antimatter could ultimately threaten the stability of our entire solar system. All life could be destroyed. Ad Astra was produced, co-written and directed by James Gray. He previously directed the 2016 true-life drama uh, The Lost City of Zed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast at Ad Astra includes Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Ruth Negger, Liv Tyler and Donald Sutherland. And fans of Latin will be pleased to have confirmed Ad Astra means to the stars. Yeah. Okay, Nick. Is this, as some people have been calling it, Apocalypse Now in Space? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I did see this um, described that way by some people, and uh, I have to confess that reading that did raise my expectations to a level I would describe as completely unfair. <laughs> but, and it gives me great pleasure to say this, the film met those expectations. And, in, in fact, I don't think that comparison gives the film enough credit. Because... While it does draw inspiration from uh, Apocalypse Now and, and Heart of Darkness, the uh, the source novel, and also just about every major space travel movie from the past 50 years, overall, it feels unique. It's, it's, a, it's a film that, that does more than just uh, nod towards gravity and Interstellar and, and Blade Runner and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's a film that can stand up on its own. And I think Stand Beside Them as a great sci-fi movie that shows a deep understanding of humanity. At its heart, Ad Astra is a film about people using space travel as a means to outrun their emotions. And this is something that was also a part of uh, a big part of First Man, the Neil Armstrong film that we reviewed last year, our second favourite film of 2018. Um, and Ad Astra takes that theme to the next step beyond, the next frontier, if you will, by asking its lead character, how far do you need to run away before you can stand to look back at your failings and deal with them? And this makes the film of a piece with James Gray's more recent films, The Lost City Zed, um, as we mentioned, sort of dealt with it dealt with avoidance through exploring the Amazon, and The Immigrant, has, um, as its title suggests, it has moving to a new country. The difference is that those films had period settings, and they had to you know, therefore conform to what we know about this historic eras. Ad Astra being said in, in what it describes as the uh, the near future, it gets to be more creative in that regard, and it takes the opportunity to, to uh, reinforce the sense of alienation. There's a scene where Brad Pitt's character flies to the moon, which has been colonised, and the first thing we notice is that the brands have followed. We, we see that there's a subway and there's an Applebee's there. The the flights are operated by Virgin Atlantic. It's a, it's a film that knows how to have fun from time to time with little things like that. It tackles some existential themes while still finding time to uh, have a moon buggy chase and a, a horror scene with a rabid monkey. It's it's, <laughs> it's a lot to take in. But uh, it's a lot easier to take in with the presence of Brad Pitt. I, I questioned in my review uh, last month whether his performance in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was his best or not. I think that this is pretty definitively his, his best performance to date. I think it's, it's the first time since uh, probably Babel maybe even Seven, that we've seen him play a character who is vulnerable in in this way. And the film allows us to see strength in that vulnerability, which makes his character, uh, in a way, the the inverse of Tyler Durden from from Vine Club. 
It's a performance that makes use of the, the calmness that we frequently see from him, and it frames it as a, a shield that this character uses to conceal his anxieties, which, were they more apparent, would most likely reveal him to be completely ill-equipped for his mission. And it's it's thrilling to see that character struggle with that as the, the film progresses. And it's, it's just occurs to me that Tommy Lee Jones does something similar, which I, I think threw me off a little bit, because based on the trailer, I was anticipating him to be... be uh, well, a bit weird, more like Tommy Lee Jones, but he's he's playing Brad Pitt's father, and he realised that Brad Pitt's character has to, um, he had to inherit those traits from someone, and so it, it fits quite well, I think. Uh, the rest of the cast have considerably smaller roles, but they still shine brightly, particularly Donald Sutherland and uh, Ruth Negger as well. Liv Tyler um, seems to reprise her role from Armageddon, playing the, the woman left behind on Earth. It's uh, admittedly a largely thankless task, but she, she rises above it, still does some good work. Yeah, it's it's very good. One word of warning for the film, though. It's a film that likes to take its time. It isn't especially long. It's um, it's only only two hours. But there were, were moments where it it felt long, um, even for me. And I was you know quite on board of it. It's also a film that I think works best if you relate to um, Brad Pitt's character. But um, yeah, I, I did. But yeah, that wasn't uh, clear to me um, until the final scene. Okay, Nick, let's have a Sunshine Cinema rating out of 10, please. Got a bit of a question mark over this, but I think it's a 9 out of 10. I, I, I saw Big score, big score. Big, biggest score of the year so far. Um, I'm still processing it, to be fair. I saw it on Wednesday. Uh, the process of doing this review has reminded me that the this film has an awful lot going on in it. <laughs> but I keep remembering how I felt when the film ended, which was, in a word stunned because it ends on a scene that I think poetically mirrors the the opening scene and made it clear to me what the film had been about which is as I mentioned the inherent strength in accepting your vulnerabilities and learning to to reach out to people when you when you need to and it delivered that message in such a graceful and light-handed way that I didn't I didn't fully realize how deeply it had resonated with me until I was out the cinema and halfway down the road and when I did realise that, I had to stop walking and, and catch my breath. I can't say it had that effect on everyone, but that's the effect it had on me. And I'll say this, for all its magnificence, I didn't get that feeling from Apocalypse Now. Or, indeed, many films. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nick. OK, still to come, our film to rent review is Tolkien the story of the early life of the author of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. Before that, though, it's the Take 5 film quiz. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. And now it's time for the Take 5 film quiz. Just to say, uh, if you've seen any of the films that we uh, discuss on the show, uh, we would love to hear your views. Please uh, please feel free to share them with us. Uh, you can tweet us at Sunshine Cinemax. Good or bad, let us know what you think of these films. Yeah, especially if you've seen Downton Abbey, because we like to get that perspective on the show. Definitely. Because neither of us have watched the, the TV show at all, so we've got no idea. Incidentally, hot off the press, I have just read that Downton Abbey is smashing it in America. Yeah. It's, um, it's taken uh, over $15 million 
in one day. Wow. Um, that's double what it's taken over here um, wow. so far. Really? So, okay, wow. So the Americans are loving it. Yeah. Did it, did, did they think it's a documentary like they did with Upstairs Downstairs? <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> don't, don't confuse matters. <laughs> okay, quiz time. And now this week's quiz is a little bit different. Okay. So in this week's quiz, I'm going to give you five pieces of movie trivia, and you just need to complete the missing detail. Okay. Okay. It's multiple choice. <laughs> Just make it a bit easier. And if you're going to play along with us, then you are going up against Nick. <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to jump straight in. It'll make sense as we play it. Question number one. To alleviate the new threat of video piracy, Universal made the home video cassettes for E.T. with what colour plastic? Okay. okay. Universal made the home video cassettes for ET with a different colour plastic to the normal black. But what colour did they go with? Was it red, green, or blue? Question two. The cast of the World War Two classic The Great Escape includes one genuine World War Two prisoner of war. Oh. But who was it? Donald Pleasance, Richard Attenborough, or James Coburn? Who was genuinely a World War II prisoner of war? Donald Pleasance, Richard Attenborough, or James Coburn? Question number three. The infamous mask worn by the Halloween killer Michael Myers was a modified $2 costume mask of which TV character? Was it a mask of the Fonz, Columbo, or Captain Kirk? Question number four. All of the Lord of the Rings actors who played characters in The Fellowship, apart from John Reese davis had a tattoo done that said what in Elvish? Did it say shadow, ring, or nine? What did the Elvish tattoo say? ring or nine and finally question number five who did James Cameron decide not to cast as the Terminator because he was in quotes too nice <laughs> was it Tom Hanks OJ Simpson or Anthony Hopkins Have a little think, and we'll be back with the answers very shortly. You're listening to Nick and Marcus on the Sunshine Cinema Show. Please remember, don't get them wet, keep them out of bright light, and never feed them after midnight. Okay, film quiz answer time. Yep. How do you think you got on, Nick, out of five? Uh... I'm going to say four, I think. Four. Confidence in the lad. Three, three definitely, and then there's two uh, educated guesses. Okay. So, question number one. To alleviate the new threat of video piracy, Universal made the home video cassettes for E.T. 
with what colour plastic? Uh, my instincts say blue, because blue is the cover of the, the poster and the, the cover art. Hmm. Well, the correct answer was green. Why? why? <laughs> I'll tell you why. The little green man from outer space. Okay. He's not green. He's brown. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> no, they missed a trick there. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't get artists to make the decisions. I don't know. Maybe maybe blue was more expensive or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, question number two. The cast of the World War II classic The Great Escape uh, included a genuine World War II prisoner of war. But who was it? Um, okay, this one is purely a guess, but I'm going to go with James Coburn. The correct answer is Donald Pleasance. Oh, really? Yeah. Question three. The infamous mask worn by the Halloween killer Michael Myers was a modified $2 costume mask of which TV character? Very, very famous uh, horror movie fact. This one's Captain Kirk. He is correct. Turned inside out and painted white, I believe. I was going to say something there, and luckily my mind sensor jumped in and stopped me. <laughs> Question four. All of the Lord of the Rings actors who played characters in The Fellowship, apart from John Rhys Davis, had a tattoo that said what in Elvish? Uh, it was nine, referring to the number of members of The, uh, of the Fellowship. It's correct. Did you know that? Yes. Did you also know that John Rhys Davis sent his stunt double to get the tattoo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so nine is correct for the exact reason that you gave. <laughs> okay, and finally, question number five. Who did James Cameron decide not to cast as the Terminator because he was too nice? This one I def definitely remember hearing about as more of a, an urban legend, I think, maybe made after the facts, but um, if you've got a source on this which confirms it, it's... Um it's well it's a very entertaining fact OJ Simpson that's the story I've heard yeah so that's the answer I'm going with yeah can you imagine Tom Hanks in that oh, I was <laughs> trying to imagine Tom Hanks as the Terminator it, yeah it would change things somewhat wouldn't it, would it? Definitely. <laughs> really would <laughs> okay so uh, yeah Nick you can uh, toss up your scores there that's a 3 out of 5 which is uh, considerably better than anything any other score I've got in the past yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, I felt it was quite hard for you on the uh, on the previous quizzes. But the well, it was it was always the years that it was it, yeah tripped me up. If you didn't know it, you didn't know it. Yeah, that was the problem. And uh, yeah, three out of five, good going, well done. Thank you. Nice effort. How did you get on playing along? Did you beat Nick? Let us know uh, on Twitter. We're at Sunshine Cinemax. Love to hear how you got on. Now, if you like a story of life, love courage and fellowship then you may be interested in our review of Tolkien up next this is Nick and Marcus exclusively on the Sunshine Cinema Show if you're listening on the podcast boy you've just missed a gem by Leonard Nimoy okay it's time for our film to rent review and this week it's Tolkien rated 12a as a young student, J.R.R. Tolkien finds love, friendship and artistic inspiration among a group of fellow outcasts. 
their brotherhood soon strengthens as Tolkien weathers the storm of the tumultuous courtship with Edith Pratt and the outbreak of World War I. These early life experiences later inspire the budding author to write the classic fantasy novels The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. We should form a club. What? A brotherhood. Aren't we already a club? A tea drinking club? A tea drinking club sounds like something my stepmother would go to. The tea club. It doesn't sound any better just because you repeated it. The Birmingham voice. That sounds like a circus act. The boys of Barrow Stores. Oh. Barovians. And the tea club and Barovian society. I think that's far too long. The TCBS. The TCBS? Yeah. Are you sure that doesn't sound like a disease? Now listen, I don't care what it's called as long as we pledge our loyalty to each other. Exactly. TCBS, that's settled. Now what do we do? We change the world! Oh good, something simple. Through art, you clown. Through the power of art. Brothers. Will you join your comrades in this act of changing the world? We will. We will. Hellheimer! 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 Well, Tolkien was directed by Dan Karakoski from Finland in his first English language movie. It stars Nicholas Holt, Lily Collins, Cole Meany, and Derek Jacobi. And something I will mention straight away, and it's an important thing to, to be aware of, is that the family and the state of J.R.R. Tolkien declared that it did not approve of, authorise, or participate in the making of this biopic. Mm -hmm. Okay, Nick. Um, well, besides being about the early life of a famous author... What makes this a story worth telling? That's something I was wondering, wondering myself when I first heard about this film. Um, it's something I was wondering about halfway through watching it, and it was still echoing in my mind as the film came to a close. I wouldn't describe this as a bad film, but it's a film that never really justifies its, its existence, unfortunately. There's, uh, there are no, no big revelations here about Tolkien's life. It's just a very average film that suggests that an author's work is inspired by their interests and experiences um, and you know, anyone who's read or watched an interview with any creative figure will know this already so the question I ask myself now is do people need to watch a, a two hour film where the only point being made is that Tolkien wrote a lot about deep friendships because he had some deep friendships as a young man a, a biopic like this doesn't necessarily have to have big revelations about the subject but the, the plot in this never really got engaging for me, I think the the, uh, the cross-cutting between the the World War One scenes and the early days is designed to to make things more interesting, and it works to a a, a small extent, but only because having the story play out in chronological order would make it much duller. I think I found that I never really got invested in any of the characters, many of which are you know, somewhat charming, but there there isn't much to them beyond that. There's a lot of time spent on the characters talking about each other when we would you know, probably know them better if they simply did more. With that said, let's <laughs> move on to some positives. I, you know, I always get a kick out of seeing an, an expensive period setting done well, and you know, a lot of, a lot of time was clearly spent on getting the, uh, the the locations and the and the set dressing right. Barrow Store looks like the type of place I would you know, gladly spend a lot more time in myself if I go to Birmingham or wherever it was filmed. I thought the scenes on the battlefield were a little bit overdone visually, but only because they clash a little bit with the 
the rest of the film. Uh, there are some good performances from the cast, particularly Nicholas Holt in the, the titular role and, and Derek Jacobi as well as a, uh, a language professor. Uh, the score is good as well. It's, it's composed by Thomas Newman, who previously worked on American Beauty and, and Wall-E. And there are moments, I think we might have heard a, a little bit of it at the, the end of the clip there, where you can hear echoes of people singing in, in unfamiliar voices, which is you know, a pretty perfect way to suggest to, to your, your mind images of high fantasy to come without explicitly reminding us of Howard Shaw's score from Peter Jackson's films. And I, I was actually impressed that the film has the restraint to not lift too many visuals from the, the Lord of the Rings films. There's one right at the beginning and that's that's it, because the, the, the trailer suggested that that's all the film had going for it. I mean, the film ultimately doesn't have a lot going for it, but it's it's not nothing. <laughs> That's it. That's the review. <laughs> Fair enough, Nick. Can you give it a Sunshine Cinema show rating out of ten, then, please? It's uh, it's just a five out of ten. I think it's straight down the middle, really quality-wise. It, it didn't pass your your watch test. Like I, I checked the running time, and I was only halfway through, and that made me a little bit sad. There's there's nothing about it to dislike, but there's there's nothing to to recommend either. Really, I mean, on the plus side, at least they they didn't seem to resort to making making things up for the sake of an, an exciting plot, which yeah. Some biopics do not do that. <laughs> okay, so uh, it's um, fast approaching the end of the show. So uh, let's see if we can squeeze in um, a few upcoming releases at the cinema and on DVD. Yeah, I want to start very briefly by uh, talking about uh, another film that's out this weekend, if Ad Astra doesn't take your fancy. It's called uh, The Farewell, which is uh, about a, uh, a fa- Chinese family that uh, discover their grandmother has uh, only a short while left to live and decide to uh, keep her in the dark. So they schedule a wedding uh, to you know give give them a reason to gather in China before she passes away. Um, it's got you know fantastic reviews. I really enjoyed it when I uh, saw it earlier in the week, and it's uh, it's largely in Mandarin. So it's you know very likely that this could be nominated for some awards early next year for you know films in in a, in a foreign language. And it's it's a good it's a yeah nice little way to spend uh, I don't know ninety minutes or so. Okay. Very, very, very likable cast as well. Right. Okay. Okay. And in complete uh, stark contrast to that, uh, coming out at the cinema, we have Abominable, um, <laughs> another animated Yeti movie. Another one. Oh. Appar- apparently, this is a little bit better than Smallfoot. I was going to say, I hope it's more missing link than Smallfoot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also have coming out The Day Shall Come. Yes, yes, the uh, yeah, new film by Chris Morris. I think this is his first film since since Four Lions. Yes, uh, suddenly you may remember him from the days of Brass Eye. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, yeah. Also have um, the, the Goldfinch, which is based on the, the novel by Donna Tartt, which won a Pulitzer Prize a few years ago. Yeah. Oh, and uh, on rental, we have Godzilla. Mm-hmm. But that's it for us. Thanks very much. Bye. Catch you next time. If you missed anything in today's episode, you can hear the edited podcast online. Just search for the Sunshine Cinema Show podcast. This is a Sunshine Hospital Radio production. Get well soon.